What's the meaning of the word providence? Is it similar to fate, chance? What about destiny? Well, that's what we'll discover today on Through the Bible. Our teacher is Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and in a few minutes, we'll begin a wonderful new study in the book of Esther. But first, Greg and I want to share something extremely important to us and this ministry. Steve, from time to time in these uh, dialogues, or I like to call them family talks, when we get to talk to the family about what what's on our hearts, what mm. we're excited about, and, and sometimes we like to do this, which is, what are the core values that guide this ministry? Yeah, and one of them, you know, Dr. McGee talked about this. He says, we're not to be a judge, but a fruit inspector. Mm. We're to look at their lives, and it will be clear whether a Christian is producing fruit or not. Yeah. So our core value that would support that would be... To tell the story, to, to hear the stories of the impact of God's word in yeah. people's lives. Yeah. yeah. So we would love to be fruit inspectors in your life. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and we really get so much joy out of it. And it isn't just for us. When we say yeah. that, we're speaking on behalf of the millions of people that listen yeah. to this broadcast. Yeah. And we want to encourage you in that when you do write and tell us your story, you encourage others as well because so many people are listening. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works yeah. and and i know that i am often stirred up uh if i'm just listening to the the broadcast the program mm-hmm. and you're reading them i'm not in the studio with yeah. you and i'm so encouraged and and then when we're here together and we read them we get we often say it's like a worship service here in this yeah. little studio we're in. Uh, and so we think we want you to know it's an important value because it proves the value and the, the strength of God's word in making a change in in all of our lives. Yeah. And then, you know, we we also look at that internationally and that's in all of the global languages yes. that we're in. We look at that as a doctrinal test. Yes. Are the are the people being taught what? doctrine dr mcgee yeah, is teaching as well we often marvel at the uh the theology the good solid biblical theology that comes back through the, yeah. the letters when people say i was dead in my sins and trespasses i was made alive in christ i mean yeah. we we know that the teaching is getting through so uh we and we also think it's very important and it's a good thing to boast in the yes. lord uh, yes, you know. it gives him glory yeah. in a very tangible way, simply by telling your story of the way God has blessed you and how your life has been impacted by the study of his word. Yeah, and of course, we always like to make reference in our core values to the way Dr. McGee built this ministry. And, and we have some excerpts of when he was explaining why did he read letters. And this is one of the things he said. He said, you can trust the Bible to say what God once said, and it has said everything he wants to say. For this reason, it meets the needs of the human heart. And then he shares uh, a letter that bears testimony to this fact from Nashville, Tennessee. You want to read this, Steve? Yeah, let me go ahead and do that. It says, I do not intend to make this lengthy. In my mind, I have composed page after page to tell you what your teaching of the word has meant to me and my husband. We were in the same boat, floating along without a navigator. Someday, I hope to be able to tell you how joy has been brought into our lives at a time of many family problems and unanswerable questions, how in our middle years, we know more love and hope and zest for living than in our younger years, how our father used sorrow and you and the Through the Bible ministry to be a great part of bringing this about. I want to point out three things that neither of us knew until two years ago when we started tuning you in. We don't know why we didn't see for ourselves. 
We had teachers who tried to tell us, and we read the Bible. I think the Lord was preparing us. I'm able to see his providence now. One, we knew nothing of our sin nature or the Holy Spirit except as mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. We knew the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and we believed this, but we didn't know that the Holy Spirit was within us. Number two, nor did we know of the resurrected life. We were fighting the losing battle of trying to be good and had just about given up on it when we started listening to Through the Bible. Greg, why don't you continue on this one? And the third thing they mention is we then realized that indeed we did have to give up and that God would start us in the right direction through his grace manifested by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And now I'm going to quote Dr. McGee. He said, the reason I quoted this letter is to show you that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. God says that his word is profitable and this couple has certainly proven that it is. When it gets into your life, it does something that no other book can do because it is the very word of God. Amen. Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin our study? Father, we thank you for your word because it does change our lives. And we pray it would do that today as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now is Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study in the book of Esther. Now, as we come to the book of Esther today, we come to what in one sense is the most remarkable book in the Bible. And that is because the name of God is not mentioned in this book at all. There's no mention of the name of God. You won't find it anywhere in this book. And that makes it an unusual book. Now, the heathen king is mentioned 192 times. And prayer, therefore, is not mentioned. Wouldn't be since God is omitted. It's never quoted in the New Testament. There's not even a casual reference to it at all. But the superstition of the heathen is mentioned in lucky days, and we'll be introduced here into a pagan heathen court of a great world monarch who ruled over the then-known world. This is an unusual book because of that. And it is an unusual book for another reason— it's named for a woman. Now, actually, there are only two books in the Bible named for women. I know someone is going to give me one of the epistles of John. I disagree with that, so don't submit that one to me. But Ruth and Esther are the two books named for women. The book of Esther is the romance of providence. That is how God directs this material universe in which we live today. In fact, it's the way he directs all of his creation. But we're going to look in just a few moments at the meaning of this word providence. Now, why would God's name not be mentioned? And why then does it teach the providence of God? Well, let me say first of all that since the name of God is not mentioned, there's not even a divine title or pronoun that refers to him. I I'm told that in the Hebrew that there is one place where there's an acrostic that spells out deity, but I would not attach too much importance to that. Now, back in Deuteronomy, the 31st chapter, in verse 18, before God put them in the land, he outlined their history for them. He told them about the Babylonian captivity, and he also told about the Roman captivity 
that is, that both Babylon and Rome would destroy the city of Jerusalem and the people would be taken into captivity. It actually happened that way. But in Deuteronomy 31, 18, God says this. He says, And I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they have wrought, in that they have turned unto other gods. Now, that's a strange thing, is it not? That God says, when they go into idolatry, and they were sent into Babylonian captivity because of their idolatry, and now God says, I'm going to hide my face from them. In the book of Esther, God has hidden his face from them. But we can say, God standeth in the shadows, keeping watch over his own. So the book of Esther gives us a record of a group of people out of the will of God. Now, when Cyrus made the decree after the 70 years Babylonian captivity for the people to return back to the land, why, not all of them returned. Less than 60,000 returned, and we had the record of that in Ezra and Nehemiah. And we'll pick it up again in the two prophetic books of Haggai and Zechariah. These four books is the record of those that returned. But what about that larger segment that did not return back to the land? You have that same condition actually today. We speak of the nation Israel today. Well, there are probably two million that have returned, but there are about 16 million that are in the world today. So actually, the majority are not in the land at all. That is something I think that's evident. And I use that merely as a parallel to illustrate what it was in that day. And it would mean that several million of these people did not return to the land. They should have. God had commanded them to. Now, they're out of the will of God. The question is, do we have any record of these people, this large number that did not return to the land? Yes, and that record is in the book of Esther, and it is recorded here. In other words, we just have one page out of their history, one small item of their experience, and one scrap and shred of evidence in their voluminous records. And the little book of Esther becomes all-important for that reason. But in this, we see God, though they are not in his will, we see God directing them. How? By his providence. Now the question arises, what about the providence of God? What is the providence? Well, all the great doctrines that we have today, I believe, are taught in certain books of the Old Testament. You have redemption taught in the book of Exodus. You have, for instance, the love side of redemption taught in the book of Ruth. And in the book of Job, as we're going to see, it teaches repentance. And resurrection is taught in the book of Jonah. So the great doctrines of our Christian faith are taught in certain books. Now, the book of Esther gives us that, and it illustrates providence. Now, this means simply this. These people in a foreign land, out of the will of God, they have not obeyed his orders because his orders was to return to the land of Israel. They remained. They disobeyed. They forgot God. They're far from him, and they'll not call upon him. And when they first came into the land, 
Why, they could say, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And they couldn't. They sat down. They wept when they remembered Zion, but now they've forgotten Zion. In fact, it's in rubble and ruins, and they don't want to go back there. And they made a covenant at the beginning that made my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I forget Zion, they've forgotten, and their tongue is silent in this book. They're not praising God at all, nor are they praying to him. That makes this, you see, a very remarkable book. But what about God? Well, he hasn't forgotten them. Now, how can God direct them if they've rejected him? Well, God does it by his providence. And the book of Esther teaches the providence of God. Now, what is providence? Will you forgive me if I'm theological for just a moment? If you want a definition, well, here's a theological definition. It's the means by which God directs all things, both animate and inanimate, seen and unseen, good and evil, toward a worthy purpose, which means his will must finally prevail. Or as the psalmist said, his kingdom ruleth over all. And the New Testament in Ephesians 1.11, Paul says, "...who worketh all things according to the counsel of his will." So our God today, he's running the universe, friends. I guess that many of us thought it had slipped out from and under him. And Emerson was wrong when he said, "...things are in the saddle and they ride mankind." Well, things are riding mankind, but they're not in the saddle. God today is the one that's in the saddle. Now, there are three words that we need to keep before us to understand the providence of God in relation to the material universe and to man in particular. We have the word creation, and we understand by creation that God, by his quiet word, spoke this universe into existence. Do you have a better explanation? If you do, come up with it. I get, frankly, a little annoyed with the dogmatism of some of these half-baked scientists today. They're generally teaching today in some of our colleges, very candidly. Many of these men are not research scientists. They actually are not experts, but they speak as if they were expert, and they tell about how evolution you know, form man. Well, will you tell me where all of the goo came from out of which this thing evolved? Where did the earth begin? Did it begin out of nothing? And don't tell me it was always here. Because if you do that, then you've got an infinite universe. And if you've got an infinite universe, you've got to have somebody that's infinite to run the thing. We're on the horns of a dilemma. And actually, there's only two explanations for this universe today. One is speculation. Evolution comes under that. But before it came along, and it's comparatively speaking recent, there were other explanations for the presence of the universe. All of them have been exploded today. And I think in time, evolution will fall by the wayside. It's speculation. Now we have the others, revelation. And the only way that you and I, certainly as Christians, will ever understand how this universe began is by faith. We understand that God brought this universe that you and I live in into existence. And that's the only way that you and I can explain it. And it's by faith. 
And that is by revelation. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And either you believe in creation or you believe in speculation. There's no third explanation for the universe. That's creation. Then there's preservation. And that's a tremendous word. That means that somebody has to hold this thing together today. And we are told in Hebrews 1, 3, upholding all things by the word of his power. And as Paul says in Colossians 1, 17, and by him all things consist. That is, they hold together. What is the stickum that holds this universe together? What is it that's making it run just like clockwork today so they can send a man to the moon and plot exactly where the moon can be and they can send a little gadget out toward Mars and they know exactly where Mars will be? You say it's remarkable that man can do that. It's remarkable we got a universe that's running like clockwork. Who's running it? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is running it, upholding all things by the word of his power. Now, the third word is providence. And that's the word we're going to be looking at in the little book of Esther. Now, providence is the way that God is directing this universe. He's moving it into tomorrow. He's moving it into the future by his providence. Now, that means, and let me now get off of this theological high horse I'm on, and come right down where we live today, right where the rubber meets the road. And when we get down there, we find out that providence goes something like this. Providence means to provide. God will provide. You remember, that's what Abraham said yonder on top of Mount Moriah. When Isaac said, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, God will provide. Well, God provided 1,900 years after Abraham on the top of that same ledge that goes through Jerusalem on Golgotha, the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. And God provided a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. And there's where the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world was offered. God provides. Now, providence means the hand of God in the glove of human events. And that means that when God's not at the steering wheel... He's the backseat driver. And he's the coach who calls signals from the bench. The way that God coaches the man on second base, that's the way that providence moves. It's the unseen rudder on the ship of state. He's the pilot at the wheel during the night watch. And as someone has said, he makes great doors swing on little hinges. Little babies cry, and a woman's heart was brought together down by the river Nile when Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe, and the Lord just pinched little Moses, and he let out a yelp, and this woman came and looked down at him. And God used that to change the destiny of a people, by the way. And in the book of Esther, we're going to find out one night a king couldn't sleep, and he didn't have any aspirin tablets. So he read some records, and it's a good thing he read them. It changed the destiny of a people. That's providence, and we'll see providence in this book. We are going to see in this remarkable book here the permissive will of God. Now, that's the area where most Christians operate today, this area of the permissive will of God. Esther won a beauty contest. Now, somebody's going to say, you mean God approves of a beauty contest? I didn't say that. 
God, by his providence, saw that Esther wanted. But they're not in the will of God. God doesn't approve of it. A great many Christians today are doing things God doesn't approve of. And they're wondering why they can't find the will of God. My friend, that's different to be guided by the will of God or by the providence of God. And there's a lovely thing said in the Word of God. He says, I'll guide them by mine eye. You know, you have to be close to a person to see their eye. And you have to stay very close to God, be in His will for Him to guide you. But most people are guided by the providence of God. Now, let's at least get our foot in the door here. I think this is a remarkable book. Now, let me say that we have an outline of this book that we'll follow as we go through, and I'll just give it to you as we go along. Now, we have here, first of all, in chapter 1, it may sound rather facetious to you, the wife who refused to obey her husband. Well, I guess that's not new today, but it was new back in that day when a wife refused to obey her husband. So we have here, and I'll just get into this chapter and get our foot in the door, and we'll begin there next time. Verse 1, Esther, first chapter. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. This is Ahasuerus, who reigned from India even unto Ethiopia, over a hundred and seven and twenty provinces. Now, this word, Ahasuerus, actually is not a name. It's a title. This is the title that this king had. Now, there's been some question as who the king was. Who do we have reference to here? What king is it? Well, I'll take the position that it will be Xerxes, and I believe that's who it is, and I think the book and history will confirm that. But it's interesting to note, and I want to give you a little excerpt that comes from the book published by the British Museum in 1907. It says, The sculptors and inscriptions of Darius the Great on the rock of Behistun in Persia with the Cyrus Cylinders translation, it is established that Ahasuerus and Esther were the parents of the Cyrus of Isaiah 44, 28, 45, and 1, and so on. May I say to you, it's quite interesting that secular history confirms this. But I believe that we're talking now about the great Xerxes who reigned here over a kingdom, a great empire, from India, we're told, to Ethiopia, all through that great fertile crescent that was the very heartland of the world. And there are great many folk feel that that is the heartland of the world in which we live today. Well, this man reigned over it. He evidently was Xerxes. Now we're told that in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes, his servants, the power of Persia, and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him. Now, we are introduced here to a great pagan banquet in the palace of Xerxes. And they just had a banquet, you remember, over in the same place, only they had to put up tents. It was what we would call a very swanky affair. Cost millions of dollars. Now, we're going to see a banquet that was a banquet to end all banquets. 
This was a great one. Why did he do it? He's getting ready to make a campaign against Europe and Greece in particular. And we'll have to wait and see that next time. We are looking at a great event, friends, in the history of the world. And how can God get in on a scene like this? Well, he will, by his providence. Standeth God in the shadows, keeping watch over his own. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. That was a great study, and it's only going to get better. To get the most out of our time together, i got a couple of resources that I want to suggest to you. First is our digital book, Briefing the Bible. Now, that contains Dr. McGee's notes and outlines for every book of the Bible, including Esther. And then second is our Bible companion for Esther. So while you'll find a number of great helps, including a synopsis of our study and some great discussion questions, you can download yours for free at ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find them. I'm Steve Schwetz, grateful for your company as the Bible bus rolls along. God bless you today as you walk with Him in His Word. grateful for our committed listening family who faithfully pray and invest in Through the Bible as we together take the whole word to the whole world.